Sometimes how I feel when Only person who can stop you is the man in the mirror When you look down at your wrist and you see money When you look at your shoes and you see money When that scarf on your neck means money Burberry scars, shrimp and perion Living like a comet, moving amongst the stars Hundred thousand dollar sports cars Silk massage, menage a trois Yes, I fit a boss Burberry scars, shrimp and perion Living like a comet, moving amongst the stars Hundred thousand dollar sports cars Silk massage, menage a trois First and foremost, thank you, Scorsese Lord Jones, for Burberry Scarves. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rewind Wrestling Network is proud to present a very special episode of Top Rope Wrestling Talk. In fact, it's the first of its kind. Welcome to the Psycho Sit-Ins. I am your host, your producer, your soundboard extraordinaire, the jack of all trades, the master of absolutely none, the one, and, and fortunately for the world, the only, D-O-M. My guest tonight needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him a long-ass one because he deserves it. He is currently the holder of nine separate championships across wrestling promotions. He is the Jericho Award winner in 2021 for Wrestler of the Year. He is also a member of the League of, of Extraordinary Podcasts. He is the host, He is one of the hosts of Jofo in the Ring. He is, as far as I and a lot of people are concerned, Canadian wrestling royalty, and he is also about to make his AEW debut in Toronto, which we will get into. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me one welcome the harbinger of truth and the bringer of change. And that is not a prediction, as my as my favorite person in wrestling says. That's a spoiler. Jeremy Prophet, boys and girls. <laughs> My man, you do me such an honor with that great intro. I, I almost feel I'm, I'm not deserving of it because, uh, you know, I'm really a minimalist when it, when it comes down to titles and accolades and all these kinds of things. I'm about doing the work and, and not needing the credit. But, man, it makes me feel real good to hear you put all those things to the forefront of this interview for your audience. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to say that, man, you've been one of the main people supporting me from since – way back at the beginning, since before I had any of those accomplishments under my belt, the nine championships and so on. So, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on here, to give back and let these people know what Jeremy Prophet is all about, what I've accomplished and what I still have yet to accomplish, but will accomplish through their support, just like you're doing here. So really blessed to be here. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine and i know you're a humble guy and that's why sometimes i just have to be your advocate and i have to put it all out there for people because if you don't know you're going to learn today <laughs> i mean you are you are you have definitely been a star on the rise for quite a while now i know because as you said i've been on the bandwagon but it is so great to see you getting to the getting even further and actually getting to the nightmare factory. I know we're going to get into that. But first, I just uh I wanted to ask you something that I just found a little funny but that I honestly I love about Canada. So I know there's going to be a lot of Canadians watching this. Please don't take this as an insult. I love you guys. I wish I had free healthcare. My wife got me into a show a few years ago called How I Met Your Mother. 
And one of the characters is Canadian. And she, they find a video on her of ba where basically she looks like an 80s pop star. And, one, and someone says to her, but isn't this like 1996 or 97? She's like, and she basically says, well, in Canada, they're a little behind the times. As far as Canadian wrestling, I think they're behind the times on, on, on something, but it's awesome. You actually recently became, maybe a year or two ago, the, the leader of the Aces and Eights. Am I right? Uh, that's correct. In fact, I still am president's, uh, the president of Aces and Eights Quebec, which is the chapter here. Um, and, you know, you might want to frame that a little differently because to say, you know, behind the times and whatnot, uh, people don't realize that Aces and Eights Quebec, uh, yeah, I became the, the leader and I guess it gave it a lot more spotlight because of that, because of who I am. But uh, it actually existed in conjunction with the real Aces and Eights back in like uh, 2013, 2014, with the idea being that, you know, they have the Aces and Eights, much like with any, um, I don't want to say biker gang, I feel there's a, you know, more, more and let, let's call it an MC, a motorcycle club. Uh, and they have chapters all throughout, you know, the world or throughout North America. So the idea with Aces and Eights before I was even a part of it um, was that it was just another chapter. And, they used it as a vehicle to be able to introduce some of the guys who were doing aces and eights in uh, TNA uh, here on, on the independent scene. Like Wes Briscoe was the actual president for a while um, and he would come out and do shows here. And that's how I became president was I beat Wes Briscoe, not only for the great North wrestling Canadian championship, but also for his spot in the MC. So yeah, that that's, that's the long and short of it. So to say we're, we're behind on trends, um, no, I think, I think it's a, a whole thing where, you know, sometimes what's old is new again. And it's something mm -hmm. I tell a lot of young wrestlers because you can look at things that are, you know, in the past, take it, put your own twist on it, make it your own. And it's, it's something that I've done where I never wanted to be one of these wrestlers that says, oh, here's a, a move or a gimmick or a catchphrase uh, that somebody else is using. I'm just going to steal that. and I'm going to use it. Like, um, you know, I could give a, a, a recent example even like how uh, we saw Kip Sabian show up on uh, AEW TV with the box on his head with mm -hmm. the quote underrated and over it, which was literally a Dolph Ziggler t-shirt like six, seven years ago. You know, mm -hmm. no slight on, on Kip Sabian. Just to say, anyone who knows wrestling and has a decent memory like I do, I have you know, the memory of an elephant, uh, you know that that was a catchphrase that was used uh, a while ago. Uh, so with me, I kind of like to take things and I like to put my own twist on it. Um, so everything that you see me do, if it might look like something else, at least you can't say that it's 100% identical because that's just plagiarism. And uh, the journalist in me and the wrestler in me would never stand for that. Oh, no. And that's another thing I appreciate about you. And I'm sorry. I, I know I said behind the times. I meant it in the coolest way because I, <laughs> Aces and Eights was like one of my favorite factions all time. Absolutely. Me too. Nobody awesome. asked me like, about that. I'm a huge Impact fan. I've been since TNA NWA, and it, you know when they came along, the way it played out, it was, oh my god! And then they just kind of disappeared in America. You didn't really hear anything about them. And then one day, I get on social media and I hear Jeremy Pop Jeremy Prophet beats Wes Briscoe and is now the leader of the Aces and Eights. And I'm like, what? I haven't heard from them in like five, six years. <laughs> we uh, either way, it's amazing. Funny sidebar on that, we even did a thing where the Aces and Eights appeared in PCO's uh, web series and PCO Justice, which I was doing um, over uh, COVID, and I was playing the main villain in that, 
and we used the aces and eights, like the, the logo and a lot of the guys who were in the group in uh, Quebec here. And it even got a couple of retweets and comments from Bully Ray saying like, oh, that logo looks familiar. Oh, you know, um, when, when, uh, when am I going to get contacted about this? That kind of thing. Yeah. And so I love Bully Ray, man. Gotta love him. Uh, I those, swear those fun little things. shortly after you became the leader, you saw D'Lo Brown on impact television with the cut. And I thought, Oh my God, if he brings Jeremy and I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> uh, funny story. Maybe not so funny, but D'Lo was one of my main contacts when I was trying out with TNA. Um, yeah. I did a tryout with them back in 2011. Uh, I went to a ton of their events, you know, was backstage. D'Lo was very welcoming, and I don't doubt that he was putting in the good word for me. Um, I, I impressed, like, a lot of them there. I impressed D'Lo. I impressed Jeff Jarrett. Granted, it was a time where the company was going through a transition. So, you know, you didn't know who had the power, if it was Jeff Jarrett and Vince Russo, if it was... Hogan and Bischoff. There was kind of like a civil war going on inside the company. And um, amidst all of that, uh, I guess I wasn't able to secure a job. But this plays into, you know, just one of the many examples of what I talk about because D'Lo was pulling really strongly for me and, you know, telling me that, like, I was one of the most impressive guys. They literally said in front of everybody, you can ask the guys who were at that tryout. You can ask guys like, even though they probably don't remember, but, you know, Bobby Fish was at that tryout and, and we wrestled each other. I, I didn't know who he was. But uh, and he probably didn't know who I was, but uh, we, we wrestled each other at that tryout. And there were probably tons of other people who got jobs because it's easier to get jobs when you're an American. But they put me over at the end of that more than anybody. Like everyone got a critique, a public critique, um, just so that they would say, you know, just so that it's not like we're talking about, about someone behind their back. And so it was out in the open. My critique was, you know, you did outstanding. I think you have a future with this company. And show after show i would go back and see the guys and you know just to kind of show face and be like i want to work for this company um you know what's what's the hold up here what do i need to do and what it came down to was below said that because i'm canadian that was preventing me from being hired that he said and these were his words like i have three piles i have the 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 no pile the maybe pile and the yes pile and he said you're in the maybe pile because you're canadian because there's the need for work visas and those kinds of things. And I, I literally said to him, I'm like, I'll pay for my own work visa. I don't care. I'll put up the 10, 20 grand, whatever. Just, you know, get me on TV. And uh, he was like, well, he's like, if you could do that, that would take you from the maybe into the, into the yes. So that was my dealings with TNA at the time. And um, I've, I've been trying to track down D'Lo for an interview because I really want to get this on the record, how they just like royally shafted me. Not to say him. Again, nothing ain't D'Lo Brown. I don't doubt that he fought his heart out to, to get me on there. But management, whoever was writing the checks, whoever was signing the deals, talent relations, whoever this was, whether it was, you know, old Dixie Carter herself or whether it was uh, Hogan and Bischoff, whoever it might have been at the time or uh, Bruce Pritchard uh, or, or any of the people who was, you know, doing talent relations, uh, just kind of royally shafted me because I'm Canadian. Yet another example of just, you know, the discrimination that I faced, the, 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 the systemic ignorance that I've dealt with my entire career and why Jeremy Prophet is not somebody um, who's a couple of years away from getting his Hall of Fame ring from one of the biggest companies. Why Jeremy Prophet was probably uh, not somebody who was in the actual aces and eights um, in TNA or someone who was a multiple time world champion, uh, which I should have been by now. So, you know, this is what we have to face as Canadians. It's not the same equal playing field for us. We're, we're just as discriminated against as, uh, as, as black players were 
in, in Major League Baseball, having to play in the Negro Leagues instead of being allowed to play in the majors till Jackie Robinson came along, which is why I want to I say that, you know, I'm the guy who wants to be that Jackie Robinson figure for Canadians. Not a not a race thing, but a Canadian thing, showing that we should be we should have a, a level playing field to get into American companies. But, you know, we can't go wrestle legally on the American independent scene. We are, are we have this stigma against us because, oh, we have to pay for a work visa for this person. And the only way people think you're good is if they see wrestling people they consider good. Who do they consider good? They consider good the people they see on TV every week. But to me, that don't bother me because just because somebody's on TV, hey, it, it, it's not a case of uh, I'm saying that I'm better than them. But 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 them being on TV sure as hell don't make them better than me. Thank you, Lacey Evans. Um, so uh, with that said, yeah, that that's what my goal is: is to be able to break that barrier for Canadians to show that you can work in your own country legally, earn your merits here, and then get scouted to a major company. And that's my crusade. That's what I intend on doing. And you know, day by day, step by step, I've been getting closer and closer, but I'm going to fight like the Dickens with every fiber in my being to be able to accomplish that and to make sure that I can show the next generation that it is possible. It takes a lot more work, but it's possible. And, you know, if you have enough determination and uh, aggression about it, you can make anything happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you're getting closer and closer to that. We're going to talk about that, too. But you actually brought up something that I had on my 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 rundown here to talk to you about, you know, saying that you want to be the Jackie Robinson of Canada. And even I, I, I know you've talked about it. I've had my discussions on shows and online with other podcasters, wrestling fans about what it takes to get from Canada to the United States to work. Because people say, oh, look at Josh Alexander or this guy or that guy, you know, just to name a few, you know, just recently. And if you're good enough, they'll bring you in. And I keep telling people that is not always the case. It is not that simple. And they don't believe me. So I'm just going to let you have the floor and, and, and explain to people the type of red tape and just, I don't know how else to put it, bullshit you have to go through as a Canadian to work in this country. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I do a lot of these interviews and I explain it a lot. Sometimes I guess I just wake up in better moods than, than other times. Um, don't know how I'm feeling today. Today I might be in more of a <clears throat> more of a feisty kind of mood. But uh, all those people mood. you mentioned there, you know, 95 to 99 percent of the guys you see on TV, the Canadians on TV, they have made it there on their merits that they've accomplished in the United States. Like. Right. You know, you can throw out any one of those names. You could say, like, you know, Josh Alexander. I mean, Josh, I, I, I kind of barely know Josh Alexander. We never, we've never wrestled each other. We've maybe been on, uh, I'd say, less than five shows together. You know, I, I like the guy. I think his work is great. But yeah. it's the notoriety that he gained wrestling in the United States that opened those doors. For him. It's not like, oh, he did this great match in Canada and then the work in Canada. And that's what the case is with a lot of these guys. They gain their exposure through going to the States illegally in most cases, and performing against well-known Americans and then getting eyes on them. So, you know, that's what is different with my crusade is I'm not doing the go to the United States, wrestle illegally to earn a legal job. I want to show that you should be able to abide by the law and companies should just have the mental fortitude to go and say, hey, this person is all over the country. This person is doing amazing things in this country. It's like, I see guys on TV, they'll bring in a lot of people from Japan. I'll just use Japan as an example. My accomplishments in Canada blow 
almost every one of these Japanese guys out of the water in terms of their accomplishments in their country. It's just people hold certain promotions in certain regards because it has so much buzz and whatnot. But if you look at my body of work, you look at the championships I've accumulated, the main events that I've performed in, the the, the attendance gates, the um, quality of matches, quality of promos, quality of my physical God-given being, uh, all of those kinds of things. My in-country accomplishments blow tons of people that have TV jobs from other countries out of the water when you take into consideration just what they've done in their country. So that's the difference that a lot of these guys, you know, the message has been, and I get this from a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, just, just give into the system. Just, just do it the same way. Take the risks. Do that. I'm like, no. Why is it that we have these billion dollar companies, companies where they literally have, you know, eight zeros in the bank. And the idea is that they're saying, well, you want to gain our attention. You got to do illegal work for us to hire you to do legal work. Sorry, that, that just don't make sense to me. You know, and then, then you got all the people who are like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be saying these things. You shouldn't be speaking up about this because it's going to make it riskier for the people who are going and working illegally and crossing the border. And it's not going to change anything speaking up about it on podcasts. Well, I I'm sorry if we had that mentality, we'd, we'd still have a wrestling business filled with tons of uh, rapists and child molesters and domestic abusers because, you know, no one would have spoke out during the speaking out movement. But mm -hmm. people did. And it changed. So there's a certain power in going and talking about these things and enlightening people. And that's what I intend on doing. I intend on being a living example of someone who's gonna to continue to fight an uphill battle. I don't worry about an uphill battle. I don't care to swim upstream. I've swam upstream my whole life, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a biracial person living in Canada, doing a sport where I don't even see myself represented uh, coast to coast. I'm usually the only representation someone who looks like me sees when they go to a wrestling show. I've fought an uphill battle my whole life. Anyone wants to stand in my way, you're going to get knocked down, man. In the words of Walter White, I am the danger. So I don't need an army behind me to fight a war. Yeah. I, I Believe me, I feel that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Native American in regular society that went to a Catholic school. I am the outcast and I've fought an uphill battle all my life and I and I feel everything that you're saying right now and I and I love that you try to do this the right way and that you're out here telling people like yeah these guys they got here but they didn't get here the way they're supposed to and there are issues even in this country with people working illegally that everyone wants to make a big deal out of but Canadian wrestlers people just look at it like oh but you know they're a champion or they're good or they're good at what they do. So they belong here. Well, they're not the only ones and they took the shortcut. Yeah. Some will have you believe that that's the only way of doing it. But again, like but I said, is. I'm about changing the game. You know, someone asked me recently, you know, what do you want your, your legacy to be? And I said, I want my legacy to be the guy who did things the Canadian way, you know, that didn't just follow suit like a lemming walking off a cliff that decided to say something is wrong here. Recognize that it's wrong didn't just give in to the status quo and change the game. And that's what I want to do. I want the next generation of Canadian wrestlers to not have to go through this. I want to pave that way. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm just the right guy to do it. I think I just, I have the right mental fortitude. I think that I'm a guy who doesn't mind taking the weight of my entire country on my shoulders. Uh, I got big enough, well-developed, uh, succulent, sexy shoulders here that can carry <laughs> the entire weight of the country. I can talk the talk and I can back it up. I'm not scared to do that. You know, I speak my mind because I know I can deliver. As long as you always speak the truth. People ask me, you know, how is it that you're able to talk so well and with confidence? And I said, it's simple. I speak the truth. 
I don't mm -hmm. say anything that goes beyond my capabilities. I'm not here to, to talk any kind of BS, any kind of thing that I'm not able to deliver upon. And so when I say I'm going to fight to the death, I will fight to the death to make this happen. I'm not going to get deterred by anyone who tries to stand in my way. Uh, they stand in my way. You got a hell of a fight on your hands. You can, you can believe that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'm with you in this fight, man. I hope you keep pushing. I hope you get to where you need to be and, and set an example and set something for, you know, change for generations to come. I really do. Um, and now I want to just kind of switch gears a little bit because whenever I, whenever we do have some, whenever we do have a talent, a wrestler, anybody on, I, I always love to ask them the question, which is basically, when did the wrestling bug bite you? Like, how old were you when you first watched a show, went to a show, did whatever, and said, "That's it. I love this. That's what I'm going to do." Right from the start, and I think that makes me different than a lot of today's wrestlers. A lot of them, they discover it when they're teenagers. They discover it when they're they're adults. You know, I, I, I talked to, did some interviews recently and people were telling me that like 2012, 2013, they discovered wrestling. I'm like, man, I've been, I've been a fan since I first saw it probably in like 92. Like I've been a lifelong fan. I never fell out of love with wrestling. I never, I've it, really, I've never fallen out of love with wrestling. Um, you know, as a wrestler, as a performer, one of the things I'm most proud of is I've done this 17 years. I've never had an injury. I've, I've never had a day off in the sense of like, I've never turned down a booking. I've never not wanted to wrestle and said, oh, I'd rather do X, Y, and Z this day. Wrestling is always the number one. Uh, I'll drop anything for wrestling, like I'm doing to go to Atlanta to the Nightmare Factory. Um, like I said, you know, with Wrestling Academy, you know, I'd be on the plane the next day if need be, be the first one to show up at class. I, I'm dead serious about this. I want to be, I, I am so serious about wrestling. I tell you, it makes people uncomfortable. Like my passion too, for huh? wrestling rubs tons of people the wrong way because they have to call themselves out and say, wow, like this guy is so professional, so passionate for this. I I'm not on that level. I, I, I could never be like that. And, and that that's me. Like, you know, I, I don't care birthdays and, and, and holidays and all those things. Wrestling comes first. My, I said it in a promo le leading up to my semifinal match for wrestling Academy. My roots are in professional wrestling. It's wrestling first everything else secondary and people say that but they say that all they do is they talk they just give a lot of cheap heat about that with me i live it and i meant it you know i would have won if there was class the nightmare factory the next day i would have been there i'd be the first person there i'd be front of the class i'd be the first one raising my hand you need someone to get in that ring you need someone to do a promo and that rubs people the wrong way because they don't have those skills but i'm not going to be the person who fits in with the average People seem to have this tendency. Humanity has this tendency. Oh, I want to fit in with the average. I don't want to be that kid in class that knows the answer to the question and is always raising his hand because he has the answer. I want to fit in with the mediocre, with the ones who, you know, just kind of stay silent or maybe they don't have the confidence or whatever. I have that confidence. It's like at shows, something happens and, oh, we need someone to do this. We need someone to wrestle another match. We need someone to do a promo. We need I'm that guy because I have all those tools. And yeah, maybe I flaunt that, but it's because how do, you, how do you get to the top as a Canadian if you're not able to do all those things? I tell people, give me any challenge in wrestling. I can do it. Look, I, I could never be seven feet tall if I tried, but you know, you need me to go out there and wrestle for an hour, two hours. You need me to go out there and cut an hour-long promo. You need me to go out there and, and do things that will generate interest you know, just on the fly. I can do that. I don't shy away from that. I'm comfortable in the, in the eye of the storm. 
So, you know, with me, yeah, maybe it sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm not bragging. The reason I can do this and I can talk like this and the reason everyone says, oh, your promos are so good is because I speak the God's blessed truth. When you speak the truth, you don't have to lie. You don't have to worry about, I just told this lie. So I know I got to tell a lie to justify the one I just said and tell another one. Mm -hmm. And then you keep going in circles and eventually you don't know what to say. And it becomes, I just speak the truth, man. It's in here. It's out here. Plain and simple. When you speak the truth, you can talk with ease because exactly. you're just saying what you know is true in your heart and in your soul. Unfiltered truth. That's all that comes out. And that's how you know that it's legitimate. Like, when somebody's lying, you always hear, well, uh, bleep, bleep, bleep. they, turn, they yeah. turn into porky pig on you. When you hear Jeremy speak, it is just smooth and from the cuff. It is all from the head, right out of the mouth, no filter. And I love that about you. Absolutely. It, positively love that about you. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you make it in any industry, let alone wrestling, without passion, without being able to look at yourself in the mirror and tell the honest to God truth. And you have it in spades. And I, I, I just had to put that out there because people need, people need to understand what this man is about and what he is trying to do so that one of these days in the near future, when he gets there, you'll understand how hard it really was. But, but, and, and I love that story. I mean, I've been, I've been passionate about wrestling since I was five years old. I mean, we're talking 1984. I'm, I'm an old guy, (laughs) but it, but yeah, it's, it, it, and on top of it, whenever I have somebody say, Hey, we need somebody to make an appearance. We need somebody to cut promo for this. We need a video for that. We need this. I'm like, I'm on it because I'm passionate just about doing this. It, because this is all I have left to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, just to, to circle back to the question, um, mm-hmm. my fandom for wrestling goes very deep. And I share this in some interviews. I don't always share it, but um, not only have I been a fan since like 92, went to my first event, I think maybe that same year, maybe 93, um, which was at the Montreal Forum. Uh, I got to see a show headlined, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was uh, The Undertaker and Yokozuna in the main event. And, uh, yeah, no, like, going way, way back. Uh, but I, I've always been a big fan. I've been the biggest fan I've known. Like, when I've seen wrestling go from this obscure thing that only a handful of us knew to the Attitude Era where everybody was following everybody. wrestling. It was like you were not cool if you were not at least aware of what's happening on, you know, Monday Night Raw and what's going on in, in, in the WWF. And, you know, then to see it go into ruthless aggression and to see it fall out of popularity – uh, almost back to where it was before as this niche kind of thing. But, man, I was a big fan. I used to, uh, throughout the, let's call it the Ruthless Aggression era, uh, I had a friend of mine. He would go to every pay-per-view. And he'd, like, sometimes fly out to the West Coast when they were doing, like, ones in, like, L.A. or, you know, out that way. But I'd go to the ones on the East Coast that we drive to. I've, I've done long drives to, like, Chicago, to Pittsburgh. to We went to North Carolina. That was the furthest drive we did, 16 hours straight to North Carolina. Um so I got to go to a lot of these events, stayed at the same hotels, the talent, because my buddy had the, the hookup for where everybody would be staying. And, you know, we'd be going, we'd be getting pictures with them, autographs. Uh, I met, like, tons of these guys. Like, I was a very, and still am, a very big wrestling fan. Uh, I never lost my fandom for the sport. And there was this, this time where it was all like, oh, you know, you're not supposed to be a fan. If you're a fan, you're a market. No, th- there's a difference between being a fan of something uh, and, and being a quote-unquote mark. But I was 
very much a devoted fan to professional wrestling, uh, being around these guys. And it helped me as a performer learning and being able to pick these people's brains and stuff. And I'm always one of the first guys when there's like a top level talent, a legend. And I've been fortunate to work with so many of them. If you look at my body of work, I've worked with like, you know, half of the WWE oh, Hall yeah. of Fame morning. But um, I always pick these guys' brains. And to me, I can never learn. I can never learn too much. I can never learn enough. I can, I'm always filling in holes in my game because I want to be the most complete possible. I'm the furthest thing from complacent. I never am going to be complacent. And even when I do make it to a top level company and I'm earning my living doing this, uh, I'm, I'm still going to strive to be better. It's not going to be like, okay, I got the contract. That's it. It's like, no, it's the contract. Then it's becoming a world champion. Then it's becoming a hall of famer. Then it's becoming uh, a legend and continuing to do this at the highest level for as long as I can. And so part of that is to never stop learning. I, I don't just want to be uh, amazing. I want to be deadly. I want to be, I want to be the greatest to ever do this. I want to be the Michael Jordan of professional wrestling. And yeah, my, my ascension to there has kind of been halted, but it doesn't mean that my skills haven't constantly been improving. So, you know, it's really just that I've been a great uh, performer. I just haven't been a great politician, I guess you could say. Uh, if I wanted to be a little bit more crude, I guess I could say I just haven't kissed enough ass. But uh, if I did that, I probably wouldn't be able to sleep at night, even if I would be in a better place. So my whole thing is just not being complacent, always learning, always getting better, uh, sharpening my skills. And uh, yeah, working my way to being the best to ever do it absolutely absolutely you know what i feel underdressed for this show hang on one second okay <laughs> now the only thing i could say to that is patience because even michael jordan was drafted what 84 85 didn't win a title till 92 <laughs> so yeah. sometimes it takes the right moment the, the 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 right people the right per, you know the right place for you to to ascend to that mountain and i think you're on your way and i know you brought up you know the the you how you've been in the ring with a bevy of wwe hall of famers who has been your favorite opponent hands down to this point are we talking just hall of famers or we're we talking everybody? no just uh, hall of fame anybody Anybody, because I know you've been in the ring with Scott Steiner, you've been in the ring with Persco. There's the list goes on and on and on and on. But if you had to pick your favorite opponent out of all of them so far, who would it be? Hmm. I mean, there's a few names I can narrow it down to, but I got to give credit to um, a guy who's been a friend of mine for probably the last uh, 15, 16 years. In fact, he's been a friend of mine since I started this, the last 17 years is uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, current Impact oh, X Division champion. I love that. Um, and it, and it's, it's strange because we debuted almost on the same show in the same place. Um, he, he's like a couple years younger than me, but um, we debuted on the same show. But it just seemed like it took promoters, even in our area, so long to put us in there with each other, that we'd be traveling together. We'd be hanging out in the locker rooms. We're really good friends. We've been good friends in and out of the ring. But it took a good, like, I'd say almost 10 years before anyone put us in the ring together. Um, it was just one of those things where, yeah, I guess maybe just both being baby faces or, you know, whatever it might be. But then finally it ended up happening and it was like magic. And it's funny because the first time we got in the ring together in a one-on-one, -on -one, it was a, a, a match that was taped before an event. So there was no real crowd. It was just he and I in there doing a match just for the cameras. And then the entire locker room kind of came out and were like, wow, you guys have to see what these two are doing in there. And then, you know, we had a handful of matches here and there. There's one very famous one you can see on, uh, 
on Hannibal TV where I defended the Great North Wrestling Canadian Championship against him. Uh, but just love getting in there with him. I think that uh, we push each other in different ways. The same way when we train together, we push each other a lot in the training. And, uh, you know, he's a good friend of mine out of the ring. In the ring, we, um, as he, he puts it best when he says, our vision of wrestling is identical. We have a lot of key differences between us. But our vision of wrestling is pretty much exactly the same of what a good match should be. So, uh, yeah, I can't say enough good about speedball. And I uh, hope I get many more matches with him. I think that every time you see me against him, you're going to get a match that's going to be one for the ages. You know, call it five stars. If you have five stars, it'll be ten stars. It'll be something amazing. And, you know, <laughs> you don't believe me? Hey, the Internet exists. You can go on YouTube. Look at look at he and I. Look at any of our matches throughout the year, and uh, you will be uh, mystified by what you see. Yeah, that title match from Hannibal TV, Jesus. Like that, that Meltzer watches that his head is going to explode with stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and shout out to Speedball, I love that guy. He's a tremendous talent, tremendous yeah. guy. I'm I'm so glad he actually made it. And you are on the doorstep of making it, which is something that I'm that we've both been alluding to since we got on. And I, I want to talk about it, but I want to let you talk about it. Take me through the journey of. The, of finding out about the tournament, getting in, and everything that ensued. It, it, it just, just the whole nine, my friend. Go, You have the floor. Go nuts on it because you deserve it. So you know as well as I do that I've been talking about the struggles that Canadians have been facing for at least the last three years now. <clears throat> and so I knew that I was going to fight this tooth and nail, do whatever I had to do to make sure that the wrestling world becomes aware of this and that we can have a better tomorrow for Canadians. What I didn't know was that I was going to run into Jacques Rougeau, who trained me. But Jacques and I had been estranged for like the last 17 years. I mean, he trained me back in, I I technically started in 2003, training with Jacques. Um, Did my first show for him a couple months later in 2004, um, but then left Jacques' school in the summer of 2005, which is when I consider my, my debut, because that's when I started wrestling regularly every week for other promotions, not just going to Jacques' school and wrestling only for him. So we hadn't seen each other in like 15, I think 15 years at that point. So lo and behold, we're at an event and I see a guy across the street. I'm actually with um, a wrestler by the name of Thomas Dubois, who's part of a tag team called TDT, a really good tag team from here in Quebec. And Thomas was also trained by Jacques. We were both there at the same time. And we happened to be wrestling that night, he and I, and we're looking across the street and we see someone. I'm like, that kind of looks like Jacques. And he agrees. It kind of looks like Jacques. And the more we're looking at him, like we're, we're trying to figure out, is that really Jacques Rougeau? But why would he come to a, to an independent show here? And then he starts waving at us and he's like, hey, look, it's Jeremy and it's, it's Thomas. And, and we go over and we talk to him and yeah, it's Jacques. And he starts telling me about this project and it made sense. I said, you know what? This is what we need. This is what I've been looking for. I'm in. Like, don't got to do no convincing. He had a less than two-minute conversation with me where he explained the whole thing, and I think he was trying to sell me on it. I'm like, you don't got to sell me. I'm in. I'm, I'm in 110%, and I'm going to be the soldier on the front line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing work. And so I was the first one to join. And like I tell people, I was the first one to join. I was the last man standing. And it was a great concept. The idea was you take wrestlers from all over the country, 40 wrestlers in total, 30 guys, 10 girls, and you have this tournament where they're evaluated on their skills. You have judges and you have fans 
that will vote. Fans in the arena and fans can vote online. So you have their fan bases voting for them and you have judges assessing their skills. So this competition started off as $5,000 for the, the winners. And there was going to be one day at the Nightmare Factory. But then because it was creating so much good publicity for the Nightmare Factory, which we all know it's the best wrestling school in the world right now, um, QT Marshall extended it from one day to one week. And then it got extended from one week to one month. And then it got extended to a full three-month scholarship at the Nightmare Factory as it went along. Now, for me, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, $5,000 is nice. But $5,000 to wrestle, it's not advancing my career. It's a nice payday, but it's not the big picture. And I've always been someone who sees the big picture. So when I heard the Nightmare Factory was involved, that was really what won me over because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go in there. They're going to see me that one day and they're going to realize what I'm all about. They're going to realize the same thing you realize, the same thing anyone who watches Jeremy Prophet realized. And you know, you know how many times in my career I've lived these moments where like, you know, I, I've done a handful of shows in big markets. I did one at the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in uh, Amsterdam, New York at the time. And it's, it's a thing of like, the exposure in the American market. Like I did a match there. Everyone's like, how is this guy not signed? How is someone needs to call up Vince? We need to, you know, everywhere I've gone, those tryouts I did with TNA that I talked about, everywhere I've gone, people have loved me. And people are like, wow, <clears throat> like, how is there this guy with this much talent that looks this good, talks this good, wrestles this good, and he's not on a TV every week. He's not, you know, his action figure isn't uh, in children's rooms with posters of him on their walls. And you know, how, how is this not a case? That's the story of my life. That's everywhere I go. Um, but yeah, so I knew that in one day at the Nightmare Factory, I'd be able to make enough of an impression to parlay this into the direction I want to go in. Then obviously it became even more time. So now there's a lot more at stake. And, you know, I know it's going to lead to good things. But getting back to the tournament itself. So it was three rounds. There were two first round shows. So half of the first round was one show, which I was on. And then the next half of the competitors were another show, which I was not on. And then the semifinals and the finals. So the way it works is in a singles match, one person will advance. So they take two weeks, they accumulate the fan vote along with the judges vote. The judges vote is worth 40% of the overall vote. The fan vote is worth the other 60%. Um, I did a six man and three of us advanced. So I was the only one from my team uh, that advanced and two from the other team advanced. Uh, then the semifinals, I did a one-on-one. -on -one. I advanced in that one. Many people called that match the best match of the entire competition. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a humble guy, but I believe in speaking the truth. And the truth is, uh, that was the best God-blessed match of the entire competition, was that, that semifinal. Um, I encourage anyone, go check it out. It's on YouTube. If I'm lying, I'm dying. So um, then we had the finals. Where the finals, it was no longer judges and fans. In fact, the semifinals was just judges. The finals was QT Marshall watching it live uh, from home and choosing the winner. So it was all QT. And there's a clip that's out there. You can see it on my, my social media pages uh, where we're standing there waiting for the verdict. And QT made the right decision and chose yours truly and stepped up and finally gave me an opportunity to advance my career, to be seen by the right people. And so now the rest is up to me. Now it's, you know, it's put up or shut up, you know? And like I always say, 
you, you hear Jeremy Prophet talk, it's easy to think that I'm just a guy who's very overconfident, who's very arrogant, who's very full of himself, until you actually see me perform and I deliver. And you realize that I'm probably one of the only guys that has the guts to actually say how good he is and then prove how good he is. I always back it up. So, you know, I'll tell people at shows, you know, there's some shows that I'll be, you know, I'll be on later in the show, maybe making my debut and I'm on the latter half of the card. People who come to me at intermission be like, hey, why should I buy your eight by 10? Why should I buy your shirt? You know, and I'll be like, well, who's your favorite wrestler? And they're like, okay, it's this guy. It's this, you know, local, whatever. I'll be like, mm -hmm. okay, good. By the end of the show, I'll be your favorite wrestler. And you know how many times it happens where they come back up to me and like, you're right, you're right. Because I don't know, I just, I just got the balls to do that. I know how good I am. I work really damn hard to be really good. So when I tell somebody I'm really good, I know I can back it up. I, I don't have any insecurity at all about my performance. I think that's what makes me dangerous. I'm not insecure. I'm not scared. I don't have these feelings of, oh, what if the crowd doesn't react to me? Oh, what if I go and I slip off the ropes? What about, no, man, I'm a professional. Okay, I'm like a, a, a multi-degree black belt at what I do, doing this at a level where like yellow belts are being rewarded with high paying jobs and better positions. I've been doing this for a long time, never suffered an injury, never been physically or mentally burnt out, never wanted to do anything other than wrestling. Put that up against anybody in the wrestling business. I, I dare you to find me one other person that can even say that. I've never taken a day off, let alone all the things I do. So it comes down to, I feel, my opinion alone, but the way I look, the way I talk, the way I wrestle, there may be people who can do any one of those things better than me, but find me somebody that does all the things I do as good as I do. I have not met that person. I have not seen that person on TV. I have yet to meet my equal. People say I'm arrogant because I say that, but you know what? I don't care. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But I believe in myself, and I have yet to meet that person. I, 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 17 years of doing this, I have not seen somebody with my physique, with my good looks, with my speaking ability, and most important of all, the thing that matters bell to bell, your wrestling ability. Not seen that person, not seen anyone that does all the things I do as well as I do them. If you've met that person, put them in touch with me. I'd love to meet them. Go in the comments section, tag somebody, and I'll yep. be glad to go in there and do a James Randi and debunk exactly why they are not Jeremy Prophet. For those of you who don't know who James Randi is, great Canadian, look him up. James Randi and uh, Yuri Geller. Look, look it up. You'll get the reference. So you're going to learn today. No, and you know what? I know I'm kind of his advocate, but I watch a lot of wrestling from a lot of different places, and everything this man says is the absolute truth. If you don't believe me, go see for yourself, please. And it's like I, I tell people, not not to just continue on the same tirade, but prove me wrong. Like, prove me wrong. Step up, whoever you are. I get people that call me out. I had uh, I had this thing. Uh, I was out in BC. Some guy, I forget his name. You know, he wanted he wanted a taste of this. Okay, fine. Try and prove me wrong. Let's get in the ring. You know, you might think that you're really hot in your area. You'll get in there against me. I'll make you look very average. People, before the bell even rings, people will forget that you exist. You know, same thing like I want to do with Flip Gordon on the Jericho cruise. I don't know if you've seen that. But, you know, Jericho put out that challenge. And I said, I want me a piece of Flip Gordon because he don't scare me. He's had his moment in the sun. He's had his time in major companies. And, okay, that's the most you could do with that run. If you had given me that same kind of TV time, then you'd see someone on their ascent to becoming a Hall of Famer. I would have done a hell of a lot more. So I'm not worried about Flip Gordon. I'll get in that ring with him, and people will be like, okay, wow, we thought Flip was good, but 
who's this Jeremy guy? How have we not heard about him? You know, I am diamond in the rough is a term I hear. Uh, I, I am I am like a I, I'm like a mountain of diamonds in the rough. You know, people are, are big fish in small ponds. I am a a, a whale in a, in a teardrop. <laughs> true, absolutely true. Um, yeah, I was actually I was going to bring that up because I saw Jericho was coming up with the Jericho cruise, and he came up with what is it, the Oceanic title or yeah. or right and he had gave flip gordon a bye into the finals and then i saw a video from you where obviously that didn't quite sit right with you and i went oh we need this match especially like you had said if you want to get a guy like joey licious and bring him and put him in your corner i mean this is this is gold this shit needs to be on fight tv or something <laughs> oh absolutely i mean look first of all the first thing i'll say is it's at sea. There are no borders at sea. So mm -hmm. there's no need to worry about all the technicalities, the no legalities. Visas, no legalities, and, nothing. And Flip Gordon, he's he's the real deal. You know, he's, he's done his service to his country. That man ain't no bitch. So, you know, I mm. know he can go when he's in the ring. PCO's told me a lot of great stuff about him, you know, from their time together in Villain Enterprise. So I know what Flip is all about. And that's one of the advantages Jeremy Prophet has is I've been able to sit back, study all these guys. The little, the minutia of what they do, the nuances, the, all the little things. They don't, they don't know anything about me because they probably just think Jeremy Prophet is just like any local guy you meet that you know uh, doesn't have what it takes to be in a major company. And it's like, no, I just, I, I don't kiss ass. That's why I'm not in a major company. But I'll take a guy like Flip Gordon. I will take him to the limit, and I'll have a lot more left in the tank than he will. I don't sweat that guy. I've been in the ring with killers. I've been in the ring with Bobby Lashley. I've been in the ring with with guys like like Hannibal, the Blood Hunter. I've been in there with the baddest of the bad. So a guy like Flip Gordon, I can handle that style, you know, win, lose, or draw. I'll still be able to wrestle the next day. But, you know, I don't know if we can say the same for him because Jeremy Prophet hits really hard. You know, don't let the finesse fool you. You know, I might do a lot of things that look real pretty in there, but I hit really hard. So uh, I know Flip has had his fair share of injuries. I've never been injured in 17 years. But, you know, I'll go in there and respectfully take him to a very dark place that he might not enjoy in getting that oceanic championship it's just up to jericho to you know maybe put down the bubbly i know he's celebrating his, the ocho and power to him jericho's my man he's my inspiration and uh it's up to him now to take off the wrestling hat put on the promoting hat and put us in there and i don't care if i got to go through a few curtain jerkers a few other overpaid tv guys a few other guys who uh you know got opportunities that should have went to canadians i'll run through them i'll get the flip i'll win it and then it'll be the talk of the town It'll be the thing that puts me on the map. And I have full confidence because, like I said, I have yet to meet my equal. I don't care if it's a bunch of guys who are earning six figures, paying all their bills and wanting to phone it in each night that are going to, you know, stand in my way. That's fine. That's easy peasy. I fight guys on the indies who are starving, guys who are struggling to make a name for themselves. Those guys are a lot tougher than a lot of these cushy TV guys that have the, 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 the yellow brick road right to the top. So hopefully Chris Jericho, and you can, you know, take this clip and maybe turn it into like a, a little short clip and put it out there. Hopefully Jericho makes it happen myself with Joey Licious in my corner. And hey, if Jericho wants to actually, you know, step up and uh, maybe corner one of the other guys, maybe he wants to be in Flip's corner. So I know Joey wants a piece of him. I think that'll make a hell of a great, great piece of business that the fans on that cruise will like to see. One way or another, I'm going to be on that Jericho cruise and uh, we're going to make this happen, even if we got to take it by storm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he's humble. I'm not. Chris Jericho, I'm talking to you directly. You do not need to put him in a ring with Ham and Egg or make him earn his spot. You don't need to do any of that shit. 
put him in the match with Flip Gordon. And that's nothing against Flip because we have defended Flip Gordon from the minute that ROH said he couldn't draw. We love that man. But Jeremy versus Flip is a dream match for a lot of folks, me included. Make this happen. You gave him an award. Put him in the ring. It's that simple. Just allow me to live up to the award. Allow me to show the people that you are clairvoyant, Chris, that you are Mm -hmm. a good judge of talent, that in giving that to me, you're saying, okay, this is to help push you to the next level. I'm ready for the next level. I'm ready for your level, Chris. I'm I'm ready to be a world champion. But, you know, if I got to run through uh, a guy like Flip Gordon, who, like I said, I got respect for him. I respect his in-ring ability and what he's done for his country. But that don't make him better than me. And I intend on going in there and making people forget about Flip Gordon's existence, forget about his career, and make Jeremy Prophet the talk of the town and the talk of the Jericho cruise. So, you know, we're here talking Jericho. Well, I intend on going on there and turning the Jericho cruise into the Jeremy cruise with the performance I'll put on. And if I can't back it up, hey, you know what? You can just throw me overboard. But, hey, Jeremy Prophet <laughs> always backs up everything he says. Yeah. In the immortal words of Kid Rock, it's not cocky if you can do it and back it up. Yep. That's Jeremy. Um, but yeah, I, I would love I would love nothing more than to get you on that cruise and see you in that match. You know, I mean, you know, Flip's great, but he's no profit. That's all I'm I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. Yep. Um I do have a couple of small questions for you before we wrap it up. I know you you've given me so much time and I appreciate it, but uh we we tend to do a, a, a show on this or a segment on this show that we like to call keep it or kill it, where we put a statement out there. And if you agree with it, you keep it. If you don't, you kill it. And we've also had a few debates on this show. And I thought, who better to settle them than the harbinger of truth? Because if he says it, he's got to know better than us. Right. So if you don't mind, I'm going to run through a couple of statements that we have argued on this show. And you're going to tell me if you keep or kill them. Okay. All right, cool. First statement. Pro wrestling and sports entertainment are the exact same thing. Keep it or kill it. I'd say I'd say we keep it. I'd say we keep it because regardless of what kind of shade you want to paint it, they're both taking place in the same venue. It's both the same medium. You can watch something that's more sports-oriented. You can watch something that's more entertainment-oriented. You could watch something like a Chikara back in the day. You could watch something like a DDT. And, you know, maybe some people might not consider that pro wrestling, but it is pro wrestling at the heart of it, even if it focuses more on the entertainment aspect. I don't think you can have one without the other, plain and simple. I I agree. Believe it or not, if you don't know, you just took my side. So thank you. (laughs) Um, Okay. Next question. And and this one, uh, as a pro wrestler, I think it might irk you, and I apologize, but this was actually brought up. You know how the last few years between Young Bucks and Usos, people say the super kick has been overused. It's redundant. It's not this and that. The next statement is the chop, the knife edge chop, has become the new super kick. Keep it or kill it. So just for clarification, are you saying that the chop has become overused? That's yeah, like the- overused, redundant, everybody's doing it like a super kick. No, I, I totally disagree. I'd kill that. No. Um, 
you know, you can do tons of chops in a match. The same way, would anyone say that the punch is overdone in mixed martial arts? You can see two guys fight for 25 minutes in the UFC. You can have a championship fight and they throw tons of punches and some punches can drop a guy. Some punches, they just take it right on the chin, still standing, keep going. So absolutely not. Take it from a guy who's a pretty hard chopper, who takes a lot of pride in going in there and bloodying guys' chest, bloodying them with as little chops as possible because I go mm -hmm. right for the jugular right away. Uh, I go right for the kill. So I'm not there to throw 20, 30 chops with you. I'm there to like hit you maybe once or twice and you don't want me to hit you anymore. And that's, that's as shoot of a shoot as it gets. If I'm hitting you, yeah. I, I want you to feel it the next day. I want, you to, I want you to feel it for the next week. So I don't need to throw 20 or 30. I'm going to find your breaking point pretty quick. That's why a lot of guys melt in there with me. And you just try and find my breaking points. I can take as well as I can give. One of the other things I'm very proud of. But uh, to me, no, kill that. The chop is not uh, the, the super kick. I'm going to... Uh I'm going to start calling myself the psycho of truth because we're two for two at this point, and whether you know it or not. I said the same thing. So it's like, I don't care. As far as wrestling goes, go back to what Jericho said a couple of years ago when AEW started. Like, yeah, you have Coke, you have Pepsi, but it's all soda. Yeah. You, you might have sports entertainment, wrestling, strong style. It's all wrestling. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's categories of the same thing. And then well, with you, this, you I mean... That. You need it because wrestling, it's, it's like the circus. You know, if the circus were all just lion tamers or all acrobats, it, it wouldn't be exciting. You need variety. Variety is what's going to attract people, even if they're only tuning in to see something that's abstract and outside of the box, like a, like a Dan Housen or an Orange Cassidy, or they're only tuning in to see the hard hitters. They want to see Moxley. They want to see Kingston. You know, you have to give them as much variety so that they'll be able to get hooked in by something that appeals to them. And for me, like, I, I love all wrestling. I mean, I shouldn't say I love all wrestling. I, I love wrestling, period. But mm -hmm. there are certain styles I enjoy watching more. And I think that that's anyone who's a fan. So the more variety you give, the more chance you have of them continuing to watch the show and not wanting to change the channel. Absolutely. That, that's where my head's at. I've always told people practically the end of every show, enjoy wrestling. It doesn't matter where it comes from. And if it's not your cup of tea... Let somebody else drink it. Let somebody like me have it, because I'll, I'll suck it down. Yeah. Oh, Jeremy Proffitt's on sweet. Mm. <laughs> Tastes like greatness. You know, like, I don't understand where the division comes from, because it's all wrestling. And then with yeah. the chop, I mean, it, it, it's a move that has so that has as much tradition as probably pro wrestling itself. You know, some of the greatest have used it. You know, some of the toughest, some of the strongest. And the visual effect of just seeing a guy's chest blister and bleed and everything. And else. my favorite it's part about it is it's one of the most real things in professional wrestling. Where you can have even the most jaded fan sitting down and saying, oh, you know, does that hurt? And turn to the person beside them and whack them with their hand just like that. And, and see the reaction. See the genuine pain yeah. that the person feels. It, it, to me, chops give credibility to wrestling. And if yeah. you don't you don't think so, I, I encourage you, stand there and take chops with me. You, you'll end up like my broadcast colleague, uh, Kyle. I don't know if you saw the clip where I chopped <laughs> I him, that. but I chopped the ever-loving piss out of him. And, I don't want none uh, of that, by the way. He still remembers it to this day. Uh, shout out to Kyle. He's, a, he's, a, he's either a braver or a dumber man than me because I want no parts of that. I think I was even asked on the show at one if you had a, if you had the choice between a Walter a Walter Chop or a Mike Tyson punch, which one would you take? I said, give me the punch. <laughs> I don't want that chop. Fuck that. 
I, I've been hit. I, I actually, I actually trained as a boxer and had some amateur fights. I, I trained at Mighty Mix in Philly where they shot Rocky. <laughs> so I've been hit. I, I, I know how that feels. I see those Walter chops and I'm like, oh God, no, never, never. <laughs> I'd rather no, get. I, 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 take, I take my chances there with Walter. I, I was on a show with him, and I was one of the things I'm disappointed by was they didn't, they didn't give me the opportunity to face him. Because I'd love the opportunity to fight a guy like Walter. Like I said, I've fought a lot of the toughest guys, the Bobby Lashleys, the Lance Archers, uh, you know, Hannibal. I, I can't put him over enough because nobody wants to fight this guy. He's, you know, going and stabbing people in the head with uh, spikes. Yet this right? guy actually has, has enough of a set to get in the ring with him about 15 times throughout his career. So I don't sweat nobody, you know, no matter how tough someone is. I would have loved to go in there with Walter, go chop for chop, chop him right there in his Austrian man boobies and see uh, see how he likes it. Oh man, I, I'd love to see that, but I might be in my feels that night. Just oh god, don't hit Jeremy. <laughs> I ain't scared of Walter. He gotta be scared of me. That's true. That's absolutely true. I don't and you worry know about that. any of these guys, man. There's 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 zero fear in me. You don't you don't gotta be Pentail Zero M to have zero fear. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. You know it's true because it's coming from the harbinger of it. Point blank. All right, I think uh uh, I think I'll end the show of this because obviously you know where you're at. What's your favorite move to do off the top rope? Uh, that goes really well with the name of the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, the move I've used to win a ton of matches, and that's the 450 splash. Tried and true, time-tested, still t- stands the test of time. And, uh, yeah, a move I've always loved since I saw uh, Juventud Guerrero do it in WCW. Oh, God, And yeah. uh, got the chance to work with Hoobie, and uh, I, got to, I got to actually tell him that, that I do the 450 because of him, because I saw him do it, and I said, I want to do that. Um, so, yeah, that would be my favorite top rope move. And you can, you can be sure that you're going to get a lot of top rope moves when you see a Jeremy Profit match. Uh, I'm very mm-hmm. comfortable up there on top. Uh, so, yeah, 450 would definitely be number one. But I will say an honorable mention to uh, the Spanish fly as well. That's a hell of a move too. Yeah, I I, I think I first saw Hoobie do, pull the 450 splash. I was in the ECW arena mm-hmm. at a house show and he did it off the Eagle's Nest onto Conan. Mm-hmm. And I lost my goddamn mind. I'd never seen that move before. Like this is pre-WCW. Yeah. I'd never seen that move done. I was maybe a teenager and I'm going, holy shit and yeah. and and you pull off a sweet 450 my friend i have to say that that that, that shit is just restaurant quality so <laughs> well thank you Hoobie, i think should be proud of you i think i'm one of the bigger guys to, to pull it off and, and yeah. to pull it off as well as any for my size um but yeah that comes from hoobie and like i was a big fan of hoobies back in the day i even uh it's funny i told hoobie i said like i wrestled you know ray but to me, wrestling Hoobie was a lot cooler to me because I was a bigger fan of Hoobie than I was of Ray. Ray was the, the guy who was beating all the luchadors that I liked in WCW. Because I liked Hoobie. I liked Psychosis. I liked uh, La Parca. Uh, th- th- those were the guys that I liked. And Ray would always beat them. They always just booked Ray so strong. So, yeah. um, you know, Ray, I ended up loving Ray's work in, in WWE. I thought his work there was amazing. And I became oh, of a course. fan of his then. But I actually didn't like him before that. Yeah, I, I've been saying that since ECW, man, because they, you know, they they would bring Ray and Hoovy in, or Ray and Psychosis, and they would have these crazy matches. And I was always a fan of the other guy, and I was like, yeah. man, this so, shrimp is beating all of them. It's pissing me off. <laughs> yeah. Like Ray always beat them. 
I, I remember I think always once, like Psychosis beat Ray, I think, once in WCW. And it was like when they were doing the LWO storyline. That's the only yep. time he beat him. And I was yep. like, okay, wow, he finally won one. It makes up for the 15 times they had the Ray 15, go over him. Times the Ray beat him. And, and Hoovy, too. And, 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 and to me, Hoovy, you know, it's, it's funny. I tell the story. I don't know if we're running late on time here, but uh, no, no, time. It, it's so cool to me I got to work with Hoovy because, like, even when I went down to FCW and I did a, a week-long tryout for WWE, um, because for the longest time, like I had like the juice in my in my email address because I was a big fan of Hoobie and I had the same email since like 2099, you know, and uh, I remember going down to FCW and they asked me about that and it was Billy Kidman and I'm like, oh, you'll love this. I'm like, I have I have the, the juice of my email because I'm a big fan of Hoobie and like him, Norman Smiley, like all the guys, the WCW guys that were down there, they all took such a liking to me. And even when I was doing my matches, I was like doing the Hoobie driver. I went up and did the 450. I'm the only guy who did practically anything off the top rope because all those guys that were down there at that camp were all just, you know, scared and not wanting Nervous. to botch anything. I was the only one who was loose. I did like lion salts. I did 450, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I want to get signed. I want to leave it all. I want to leave it all in the ring, man. I'm not going to leave anything to chance. And uh, every match, I would kind of just throw in a subtle, like kind of a, a Hoobie thing. Yeah, very big fan of his. And uh yeah, it still blows my mind that they, they didn't hire me out of that camp. Again, you know, just another example of Jeremy Prophet killing it and something just standing in the way of uh, of this happening. So, yeah, all that to say, the 450, love doing it, going to keep on doing it. And uh, more than likely, you see me hit it, the matches over and done. Yeah, please keep on doing it. Keep on doing it when you debut at AEW. Keep on doing it at the Nightmare Factory. Keep on doing it when they sign you because it's when. It's not it. Yep. We both know it. <laughs> so again, I, I want to thank you so much for giving me this time. I, this is this is an honor and a privilege, my friend. I, I don't know what else to say other than thank you. And please, please come back. Maybe you know next year. And let us know how the how the factory went. What's going on? Give us an update because I know there's a lot of people, me included, who will want all the details whether you you know what regardless of what happens yeah let the people know find you on media if they're not following you because they need yeah let them so know you can find you me know, what's on twitter really working really really working hard to build that twitter at jeremy prophet j-e-r-e-m-y-p-r-o-p-h-e-t uh follow me on there like comment retweet all that kind of good stuff you can find me on instagram at the real Jeremy Prophet, and uh, you can also use the hashtag Jeremy Prophet on YouTube to see all of my best stuff. So you know you want to see matches, you want to see interviews, you want to see promos, all of that, and you can see me on Jofo in the Ring, you know, my podcast that I've been so blessed yeah. to do. You can see me on there talking with anybody and everybody, up and coming stars, interesting people who happen to be wrestling fans legends in the wrestling business you can just see me on there talking with my friends having a good time and you can see all kinds of great content uh because we want to make sure above all else same thing like when you see me on the marquee for a wrestling show that we give the people what they want because that's what it's all about it's about making sure that you guys are being entertained you guys are getting your money's worth and that is the mark of a professional wrestler is making sure that the paying customer is taken care of each and every time you're on screen or doing what it is you say you're going to do you got to make sure that the people 
are put first. And so we're a people first podcast. I'm a people first wrestler. I am the prophet for the people. And when you are for the people, I believe that profit will follow P R O F I T. Uh, and with exactly. that said, yeah, I do intend to go down to the nightmare factory. Um, a lot of good stuff coming up actually this month, believe it or not, I would have done five Canadian provinces, which is really a big deal. Uh, I only ended up doing four because I had to cancel Alberta uh, because it, it conflicted with going down to the Nightmare Factory. But just this month alone, Quebec, where I'm from, uh, Ontario tomorrow, um, BC and Saskatchewan, I did last week back to back. And I would have done Alberta next week, unfortunately, scheduling conflict. But, you know, th there's no one else in Canada. No, no other wrestler, literally. No one, man, woman, anything in between, uh, would have done four or even five provinces this month. So I'm the hottest thing in Canada right now, winning championships left and right, carrying on that momentum and making sure that, uh, you know, like I said, I have a reputation to uphold. So when you see Jeremy Profits on a show, I can't take a night off. I always have to over-deliver because I, I talk a lot of trash. So I got to make sure I live up to my hype. But it's good because I believe in staying accountable. Uh, with that said, I'm um, going to go down to the Nightmare Factory for a week. So it's October 3rd until um, it's four days. So going to be training with QT Marshall, Cody Rhodes, and Glacier. And uh, then I got to come back to Toronto to do AEW, to do Dynamite and Rampage. I don't know if it's going to be on the Dynamite and Rampage portion. I still haven't been told what, uh, what my match is going to be and, uh, or segment or whatever it might be. I'm still in the dark about that. But I was told I will get to perform on those nights, October 12th and 13th in Toronto. And then it's right back to the Nightmare Factory right after that. And I'll be there until pretty much January doing mm -hmm. everything within my power to impress the powers that be so that we can all have a better tomorrow. So that I can show that this kid from Canada with a dream in his heart and a lot of fight in his soul was able to accomplish everything that he said. And uh, I have no doubt that they'll see the same thing in me that you see that tons of people who've supported me along the way have seen, and they will give me that opportunity. I, I'm, not ask, I'm not asking for a handout. I believe in earning mm -hmm. it. And I believe you give me the same, and I said this to Jacques, you know, I said, you give me the same level playing field as anyone else, and I will excel. That's all I need. Just, you know, take bias, take prejudice, take all that stuff out of the equation. Just judge me on the body of work I have been building for the last 17 years. Put that up against anybody. Give me that opportunity to go out and impress with no hurdles in my way, just the same thing you'd give anybody else. And I will run with that ball further than anyone. I will score that touchdown. I'll make that shot with less than a second left on the clock. I will get that overtime goal. Whatever kind of cliche, sports cliche you want to use, I will get it done because that's what I do. When you're Jeremy Prophet, that's simply what you do. So, uh, yeah, uh, whatever happens after that, I will be back on this show. I don't care if I'm a world champion. I will be back on this show because you're making the investment right now in a once-in-a-generation talent. And That's I true. intend on always being there for the people who supported me before the success came. And so from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate that. I appreciate your audience. And when I win, we all win. And I'll never stop fighting to get to where I should be. Absolutely. Keep keep doing what you're doing. And and man, I gotta say shout out to Jacques Rougeau too. That man made my childhood. He really did. I was at a I was at a house show at the Spectrum and, and the Rougeau brothers were defending the WWE tag team titles against the Hart Foundation. I was in the front row 
And honestly, I wanted to boo the Rougeos, especially when Bret Hart came out and put his sunglasses on me. I was like seven. By the end of the match, I was a huge fan of theirs. Like, I absolutely loved them. They just won me over with their in-ring and all the little tactics and everything else, the psychology. And I have been a fan of that man ever since. And I love the clip of, of I think it's Kyle dressing as the Mountie one day and then Jacques coming in to get him after the fact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was entertaining stuff. And I got to say, on a serious note, this is another one that you should maybe put as its own clip, that I owe so much to Jacques that if, if there's one person I have to thank above everyone else, it's Jacques, because I, I've been very proud to have been a stealth-made man in wrestling. And I think that's one of the most impressive things about Jeremy Prophet is that people are now speaking my name with the right amount of respect on it. Um People think like it's like I suddenly became good over the last two years. It's like, no, I, I just started making a lot of noise over the last two years. I, I've been damn near immaculate for the last 15 years. But unfortunately, being from Canada, it, you don't have the same kind of opportunities as an American would. Uh, so with that said, Jacques Rougeau is one of the only people throughout my entire illustrious career to actually give me that opportunity. And I said to Jacques, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you this story. This is one of my favorite stories. On the day of the finals of Wrestling Academy, Jacques came up to me. We're standing in the venue, and he said, it's going to be QT Marshall deciding, so he's the guy you got to impress. you got to go out there. I know we have some, some judges here, and the fans, obviously, they're going to react, but it's QT that you got to impress. No one here can help you, just QT. And I looked at Jacques, and I said, Jacques, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember you and I standing because Jacques, all I ever asked you for at the start of this competition, give me the same level playing field as everybody else. My skills will speak for themselves. You can go watch the episode of Joko we did with Jacques. I say literally that verbatim to him. And I said to him that same night, Jacques, that's all I've asked for. You've given that to me. I can do the rest. Remember this moment when we're standing here having this conversation when I win tonight. Okay? I got this. And if you go and watch the clip, it's on YouTube, you'll see when I win, I go over to the judges, I go over to Jacques, I shake his hand, and I point out in the distance. And I'm pointing and I'm saying something to him. I don't know if you pick it up on the mic, but I'm saying to him, Jacques, I told you. I told you when we were standing over there. I said I was going to win this. I said I got this. So what did I, I say? <laughs> I said I called my shot. I'm not scared to call my shot. I've yet to I call a it. shot and miss. I'm not scared of it because I've worked damn hard to be as good as I am. And I'm not going to let anybody discredit that and take that away from me, especially not people who don't want to work as hard. So I don't care, you know, what obstacle people put in front of me. I will just work harder to overcome it. You know, people have done it for years. Look at what Jackie Robinson had to go through, what Muhammad Ali had to go through. They had to go through a hell of a lot worse than me. So I can put in the work to overcome anything and achieve what I want to achieve out of this wrestling business. And so big shout out to Jacques without him, the man who trained me, but also the man who gave opportunity to me, to 39 other people in our country to get their careers to a better place and going to be doing it again with Wrestling Academy 2023. So I have to give him all the thanks in the world. Couldn't have done it without him. Couldn't have done it with one man who didn't have prejudice in his heart and said, hey, you know what? Let's help out everybody and may the best man win. And I was the last man standing, so I guess the best man did win. For once, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, uh, 
I'll second that. Thank you, Jacques. I mean, you've you've provided so many opportunities. You've spent your life making fans out of uh, making fans of wrestling out of people like me. And if if you're not in somebody's Hall of Fame, you need to be in it, flat out, <laughs> flat out, if, point blank. If for anything, hands down, for the fact that he's the one guy who made it somewhere, took his success, took his fame, and <laughs> used it to help the next generation. Didn't sit on his laurels, didn't just, you know, cash his checks and put it in his bank account, put, you know, money into investing into this competition to help the next generation. The yeah. only one. There's a lot of great Canadians, a lot of Canadians that made it to a lot of places. Jacques was the only one to say, I'm going to help the next generation out on a nationwide scale. And I think that maybe some of these other Canadian legends or some of these other top Canadian stars should follow suit. Should, should join in and do the same thing. Because why is it that only Jacques is the only one who had the brain power to think, okay, it's hard for Canadians to get to the U.S. Let me try to bridge that gap. He's the only one. And that's why I thank him, because he gave an opportunity. He didn't give me anything else. He just gave me an opportunity to show what you know, what I've always known, and what now finally more people are starting to realize. See, that just makes me love Jacques Rougeau even more because he's got that mentality that my mother raised me on. Like, if you eat, make sure everybody else eats too. And right. that's exactly what Jacques did. He went out, he made his name, he built his fame, and then turned around and gave back to the next generation, which is, as far in my book, is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So, so Jacques, if I loved you before, I adore you now. <laughs> it's that simple. All and right. again... Jeremy, again, thank you so much. Please come back. We, we, we we're going to have to talk about, you know, the Nightmare Factory and everything. I didn't even know Cody was still there. Go figure. And <laughs> mm -hmm. and the odyssey that 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 will become your your immediate future. But thank you for doing this. And and I'm going to keep it short and sweet on our end and just do the the Jeff Jared promo. You can find all our audio platforms, video platforms, social media on the Rewind Wrestling Network link tree. That's W-R-E, W-I-N-D, P-O-D, C-A-S-T. Ain't we great? For, but for now, for my main man here, the Harbinger of Truth from the Psycho, everybody out there enjoy wrestling. If it's not your cup of tea, let somebody else drink it and go give them hell, Jeremy Prophet. <laughs>